Welcome to the Mustard Seed Church here. Uh, my name is Wayne and I'm the lead pastor here at the Mustard Seed Church. And if you're new here today, we pray that today is meaningful to you and really speaks to you where you're at in life. And also, if you're here and you're sort of curious about Jesus, like you're kind of wondering what's all this Jesus talk about and we're singing about him and all this kind of stuff. We want to say that this is a safe place for you to be able to explore what Jesus might look like for you in your own life. So last week we began our new sermon series of going through the Gospel of Mark and looking at what is called the Upside Down Kingdom. Everybody remember that? The Upside Down Kingdom? Right on. The reason why it's called the Upside Down Kingdom is because for many of us, in our world especially, uh, our culture or whatever is viewed as the right side up. So anything other than what we have in this culture, it would then be the Upside Down Kingdom. And I read a quote the other day that said this. They said, if you want to be, this, this is highlights the right side up of our culture today, right? He says, if you want to be great, choose great and successful people and walk side by side with them. That's what this one businessman said. If you want to be great, choose great and successful people and walk side by side with them. The tension that we have with that is, is this is what Jesus says. If you want to be great, you must be a servant of all. It's a total upside down kingdom approach. The reason why these values of the upside down kingdom are so important for us. This is why we're going through the sermon series. If you just want to know why are we doing the upside down kingdom. The reason why these values of the upside down kingdom are so important for us. Is because the values in your life shape who you are as a person. Okay. The value, what you value in life shapes who you are as a person. So I'll give you an example here. If I adopted the values of becoming a long distance runner and eating vegan, okay, what you would see up here, I would probably look totally different than what I look like up here. I would look slim and trim and I would have like these five inch running shorts on and running shoes and like a little tank top that you see it says Under Armour on it. And I wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning on Saturdays and I go for long distance runs. And you would get somebody totally different than what you see up here. Unfortunately, what you see up here, I like naps and golf and pizza and adult beverages. And then this is what you get when, when these are your values, okay? But your values in life, what you value shapes who you are as a person. And so what we're saying is that as we go through this sermon series, looking at the values of the upside down kingdom, God's kingdom, we want to say, hey, how can those values become part of our values and therefore shape who we are as people? Do you get what I'm saying? That we become who God's created us to be, that we all have a purpose and we walk in that and we live in that and we, we live with the identity that we are sons and daughters of God. Like, this is the values of the kingdom of God that we want to shape our life. Today I want to start our time off together by sharing a quote that I read the other day by Martin Luther King Jr. And he, he used this, uh, this quote in a 1957 sermon uh, in Detroit when he preached it in 1957. And it was, the sermon was titled, Love Your Enemies. And this is what he says in this sermon. We must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. 
Let me read that again to you. We must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. I don't know about you, but when I read that quote, there was a little bit within me that tensed up within who I am as a person. Because he starts talking about forgiveness. And I don't know about you, but man, forgiveness can be a difficult thing. It can be a difficult subject to wade into. It's probably something that we all agree we should do, but probably something that we all don't do, if that makes sense. Did I say that right? Yeah, you know, you know me and my words, they get mixed up. There was a study done nationwide by Gallup, and they, sh- they had a poll that showed 94% of Americans, 94% of Americans believe it's important to forgive others. However, the same survey also showed that 48% said they actually tried to forgive those whom they offended. 94% saying, yes, we need to forgive others. We need to walk in forgiveness. 48% saying, well, I actually, I actually did that. That's a large disparity between what we think we should do and what we're actually doing. The definition of biblical forgiveness is the freeing of a person from guilt and its consequences, including punishment, usually an act of favor, compassion, or love with the aim of restoring a broken personal relationship. Is the freeing of person from guilt and consequences with the aim of restoring a broken personal relationship. You see how already there's tension. Maybe it's just me, but there's just like a, oh man. You kind of get that feel to it. Oh man. Forgiveness can be a difficult thing. Especially, especially if you've experienced hurt within your family. Hurt from a family member. You've experienced betrayal from a loved one. Maybe you've experienced uh, uh, your trust that's been taken advantage of and broken. If that's the case, can I tell you, the idea of forgiveness seems almost impossible. When you're hurt so deeply like that or, or wronged so deeply like that. Or when you've done the hurting or the wronging. Forgiveness can seem impossible. The thought of freeing a person from guilt and its consequences with the aim of restoring a broken personal relationship is a difficult thing. C.S. Lewis says that everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Rather, and this is probably me speaking up here, right? Rather, what we would like to do is we'd like to get even. We'd like to get revenge. We'd like to get justice. We'd like them to give them a piece of our mind. Is that just myself up here? No? We'd like to fill in the blank. I remember when I was... This is just going to tell you about a little bit about me. I remember when I was 15 or something like that. My dad got into a terrible incident where he was wrongly... He was like a total victim and nobody was owning it and kind of just like... Left my dad hanging out to dry when I was growing up, right? I'm not going to get into the details of it. But there was a part of me that was like, you know what I'm going to do? We lived out in the country on the farm or whatever. I'm like, I'm going to go over there at night. 
I'm going to burn that barn down. And I'm going to get him back. Take that. I never did it. But that's the thing that stirs up within us. Is rather than forgiveness, we want justice and revenge and to get even. Forgiveness seems like too much. Is this speaking to some of you today or is it just me? Forgiveness can seem like too much at times. Today, as we get into God's Word, we're going to look at the upside-down kingdom when it comes to forgiveness. How many are you pumped? Man, look at that. You're like, really? Wayne? Gosh. We're going to look at the upside-down kingdom when it comes to forgiveness. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 12. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And if you're new here, something that we love to do is we love to stand as we read God's Word. So would you stand with us as we read? And really what this is, you know, it's like when the, when the bride comes down the aisle, you know, you kind of stand in honor, right? We're doing that for God's Word. Lord, we honor Your Word. Mark chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. This is talking about Jesus. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes of the religious leaders were sitting there questioning within their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. That was a lot of scriptural reading right there. But to give you some context of what is happening here. okay? Jesus is in this house. And uh, droves and droves of people are coming to him. Because if you read prior to this, he's just done this great healing ministry. Healing all kind of people, casting out demons. And so he's at home and droves and droves of people are coming to him. And Jesus is way better than I am. Because me, as my introverted self, I would have just stayed inside and locked the door. Right? I would have stayed in my house and just locked the door. And wait till my batteries recharged and I would engage with people. But here he is, droves and droves of people coming to him. And he's not healing or casting out demons this time. What he's doing is that he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. Hundreds and hundreds of people uh, in the house and outside the house and filling the street. And he's sitting there just teaching them about the kingdom of God. And people are coming from everywhere to hear. To where it gets to the point, again, to where the crowd is spilling over in the street. 
So in these homes in the first century, there was no like entryway or foyer or hallway or however you want to say that. It was like street door in your, in your business, in the living room. You get what I'm saying? And so they fill the living room, the door is so full it's blocked, it spills over into the streets. And Jesus is just teaching people about the kingdom of God. And then what we see in the story is that four friends get this wild idea of saying, Hey, let's carry our paralyzed friend to go see Jesus. Because he's been healing all kind of people. And so this guy's laying on the mat and they all pick him up. You ever see soccer players when somebody's injured, they put them on this little thing on the field and they pick them up and they run off the field. Right, they're carrying them on this mat and they're bringing them to the house. And when they get there, they see that the, there's no way that they're getting in. Just chock full, full of people. There's no way getting in. And so then they have this wonderful idea. Let's go up on the roof. Now in the first century, how these roofs were structured, how the houses were structured, where they would have these big cedar beams that would run down the middle of the roof. Run down the roof, right? And in, the, in, in between the beams, they would lay this hay or straw, and then they would cover it with clay. And it would harden up, and it would become like a legit roof. And so what they would do is in the first century, in the evening time, you would go up on top of the roof, you would spend the evening up there, maybe even eat dinner, sunset. If it was hot with inside the house, which I've learned here in Colorado, it can be hotter in the house than it is outside the house, right? And if you don't have a swamp cooler, which we learned our first year, swamp cooler is a must. We tried the little window unit AC thing, and it just wasn't doing anything. In the first century, what they would do is they would go up on top of the house and it would actually be cooler outside. And so this is actually a place where they would hang out. So the friends get the idea, hey, let's go up there. We'll actually break this clay up, dig this straw out, and we'll lower our paralyzed buddy down to Jesus. Can you imagine how you would feel if that was your house? Right? It's like restraining order. Uh... You know, if, if there were, if there was concealed carry back then, like somebody's packing, I mean, it would be like, it would be like problems. So what they do is they lower this paralyzed man down to, to Jesus, and Jesus looks up and sees them, and he sees their faith. And this leads us to our first point that I want to highlight in terms of the upside downness of the kingdom. The first thing I want to highlight this morning is God's heart to forgive. God's heart to forgive. When Jesus, it says when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. This is the thing that really struck me about this passage because here is this man being lowered down paralyzed. He hasn't asked for forgiveness. He probably doesn't even think he's worthy of forgiveness. But Jesus looks at him and says, hey, you are forgiven. The guy's probably thinking, dude, I can't even do anything because my friends carried me here. They lowered me through this roof. And here I am now thinking that maybe I'm going to be healed and not paralyzed anymore. And you look at me and you say, my sins are forgiven. What we see in this passage is that the man didn't have to pray a prayer or go through some ritual or light any candles or go to the pastor. He didn't have to do any of that. Jesus just looked at him as a son of God, as a human being, and said, your sins are forgiven. And what we can gather from this text, what we can gather from this text, Jesus' Jesus's eagerness to forgive, is that this highlights God's heart for forgiveness. 
God doesn't have to be convinced or bargained with. We don't have to make promises. God, if you forgive me, I'll do this, this, and this. God's heart is already prone and eager to forgive. And we can see God's heart for forgiveness on display all throughout Scripture. So I'm just going to run you through the Scriptures real quick, okay? That sound good? So we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve decide, you know what? Rather than do God's way, we're going to do our way. Which, gosh, I'm so guilty of that. (laughs) Rather than do God's way, I'm going to do my way. And what that does is that creates this rift between God and humanity. That Adam and Eve sinned against God. And what we see in the scriptures is that God doesn't run from them, but he runs towards them. And he says, hey, where are you at? We see later on that uh, there's a mention of an animal being sacrificed, an animal being killed, and them being clothed with this animal skin. Which most theologians believe is actually the first sacrifice that happens within scripture for sin. Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. The book of Hebrews. And so what many believe is actually what's happening here in this passage is Adam and Eve have decided to do their own thing and go their own way and sin against God. And what God does is run to them, make a sacrifice for for their sins, and He curses the ground and He curses the snake, but He doesn't curse Adam and Eve. He gives them a chance to explain themselves. And like typical humans, we blame it on the other person, right? Who did this? Well, Eve made me do it. Well, the snake made me do it. And it's just this name blaming or whatever you call it, back and forth. God curses the snake. He curses the ground. But He doesn't curse Adam and Eve. He actually, they actually are kicked out of the garden. But when you read the scriptures, God goes out of the garden with them. God doesn't stay in the garden while they go out into the world and be fruitful and multiply. God actually goes with them. We fast forward a few thousand years and the people of God are in the wilderness fleeing from Egypt. And this is why people get all been out of shape with the Old Testament and the laws and the rules and all this kind of stuff. What God was doing, if I can just simply put it in my Louisiana Wayne, this is my best shot shooting from the hip. What God was doing is to say, hey, to be my people, these are the do's and don'ts of being my people. And can I just be honest with you, wherever you go in life, there's the do's and don'ts of whatever you're into. When I was working at Firestone Polymer and and, and oil and gas back in Louisiana, it was like, hey, do this, don't do that. Check this, don't open that valve there because everything will blow up. There's all these do's and don'ts with everything. And so for God in the Old Testament with the law, He lays out this law for the people of God. He says, hey, to be my people, these are the do's and don'ts. But the beautiful thing about it is, He says in Leviticus chapter 16, He says that if they were to stumble or sin intentionally or unintentionally, He gives them a way to offer sacrifice for forgiveness of sins. He's like, hey, here's the do's and don'ts of being my people. If you intentionally sin or unintentionally sin, here's the ways you can have forgiveness. I mean, it's like from the beginning, forgiveness was God's heart. And we see in Leviticus 16, I'm going to read you this passage. This is where sins have been forgiven for the whole nation of Israel. I think they think it's like a million people or something like that. 
verse 20 in chapter 16, it says, When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, this is where God's holy of holies is, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward a live goat. So Aaron's going to bring this goat forward. He is to lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites. All of their sin. So he says, Aaron, God says, Aaron, this is what I want you to do. Bring this goat forward. You're going to lay hands on it. You're going to confess over that goat all the sins of the people of Israel. All the wrongdoings. All the missteps. Intentionally and unintentionally. Over this goat. He says, He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all the sins to a remote place and the man shall release it into the wilderness. So here God is. He's like, hey, here's, here's what it looks like to be my people. The do's and don'ts. When you sin intentionally and unintentionally, here's forgiveness. Here's sacrifice. For the, all the nation of Israel, we're going to place this sins on a goat. We're going to send them out there to a remote place. And your sin, he's going to carry your sins away. And they would have to, unfortunately, they would have to do this every year. Every year they would have to do this over and over again. But it shows God's heart for forgiveness. See, this is the thing. God's heart was never to distance himself or separate himself from humanity. That was never the intention. God's heart was to actually be in relationship with humanity. And because that's his heart, he abounds in forgiveness. It's his heart to forgive. He's eager to forgive. And we can fast forward to the time of Jesus, 2,000 years ago. The Father sends His Son to take away the sins of the world. Jesus came and lived a perfect, sinless life. The life that Adam and Eve couldn't live, Jesus lived. The life that you and I can't live, Jesus lived. And the same way that the sins of Israel were placed on the goat and sent away, the sins of the world... Yours and mine. All the wrongs we've done. All the, all the things we've said. All the people that we've talked about. Were placed on Jesus. And our sins taken away. That you and I could be made new. That you and I could have a clean slate. A clean slate. That your past doesn't define you anymore. What you've done back in the day doesn't define you anymore. That your wrongs don't make who you are. We have been forgiven. And when we look at the theme of all, when we look at Jesus and we look at the theme of all of Scripture, this is God's heart from the beginning. That a way would be made that we can be in relationship with Him. And so because of that, the broken relationship has been restored and healed. And we can be in relationship with God. So I do want to say this today. That if you're new here today. And you've never said yes to Jesus before. This is what is available. This is why during the summertime we baptize people. 
This is why we pray for people. This is why we do all of this stuff. Because people are invited into relationship with the Father. And their sins have been forgiven. There's a clean slate. And their past doesn't define them anymore. Jesus looks at the man and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. It's God's heart. The second thing that we see is us in forgiveness. I only got two points. So you made it halfway through. Congratulations. The second thing that we see is us in forgiveness. What we see in this passage is some of the religious leaders, the upright folks, wearing the robes and the beads and all this kind of stuff that got it together. They're sitting there and it says that they question in their hearts. He says, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. It says that they question within their hearts, who does this man think he is? Why is he speaking like that? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Here we have the religious leaders who know all about God's forgiveness, but they take the position of saying, who does this man think he is? Dishing out forgiveness like that. Who does Jesus think he is? It's sort of a picture of like a hesitation to forgive. Yeah, we'll forgive this person, but we won't forgive this person. See, the upside down kingdom is that we always give what we receive. Let me say that again. In the upside down kingdom, we always give what we receive. And so when we look at scripture, we see that Jesus gives peace. And now he says, now you go and give peace. We see that Jesus gives love. And he says, now you go and love one another as I have loved you. We see Jesus serving people and washing their feet. He says, now you go and serve. And the same thing is true when it comes to forgiveness. That you and I have received forgiveness and then we go and give forgiveness. And this is why Jesus says in Matthew 6, he says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Like when I read that, I'm like, dang, that's serious. That sounds like my dad with his dad voice when he was mad at me in the hallway. Marvin Wayne, you know. It's like got that seriousness to it. And I think it should. That we give what we have received. And what we've already looked at this morning is that you and I have received an abundance of forgiveness from the Father down through history. That His eagerness to forgive... And this is why we're calling it the upside down kingdom. Because in our world today, this is totally upside down. We are in what sociologists call today the cancel culture. Have you heard that before? The cancel culture. Any mess up, any slip up, anything that you've said or done 10 years ago can come back and haunt you today and you will be canceled and done with. And can I just say that as followers of Jesus, we don't cancel people. We give away what we have received, and that's forgiveness. We don't hold grudges. We don't get even. We don't give people what they deserve. We don't disown people. That is not the way of Jesus. We give the forgiveness that you and I have already received from God. That's the upside-down kingdom. 
C.S. Lewis says this. He says, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you and in me. As we close our time here, I want to tell you one story that I've heard in 2018 from the Global Leadership Summit. Have you heard of the Global Leadership Summit before? Yeah. So I went to this Global Leadership Summit in Durango in 2018, and there was a woman who came up from Rwanda. Her name was, and I'm going to butcher this, Immaculate Ildegaza. Immaculate Ildegaza. Does that sound right? Just agree with me. Yeah. Sounds good. Immaculate Ildegaza. And so Immaculate grew up in Rwanda where there are two major tribes that make up the majority of people. Two major tribes that make up the majority of people. The Hutu tribe, which makes up about 84% of the population, and the Tutsi tribe. Can you say Tutsi with me? Isn't that fun to say? The Tutsi tribe, which makes up about 14% of the population. Then they have another tribe called the Twas that make up about 2%. For years, there have been tensions between the Hutus and the Tutsis. For years, tension between these two tribes. And this tension came to a head in 1994 when the president's plane was shot down. And the president was from the tribe of the Hutu. What followed after the president's plane was shot down was one of the most horrific genocides that our world has ever seen. The government officials encouraged and even commanded that anyone who was of the Hutu tribe, that they should kill anyone who was over the tribe of the Tutsis. So if your neighbor was Hutu and you were a Tutsi, your neighbor was commanded to kill you. Encouraged to kill you. And Immaculate and her family, they were Tutsis. And so they ran for her life. Immaculate ran for her life. She found herself in the house of a pastor in Rwanda who was of the Hutu tribe, but he wasn't following the orders of the government. And so what he was doing was he's actually bringing people in, and there were seven to eight girls that he crammed into a three-by-four bathroom in his house. This is like, you ever seen the show where they, or the, the videos where they try to see how many people they can pack into a porta potty Right? This was like seven to eight girls crammed into a three by four bathroom for 91 days while the genocide was happening. Immaculate with the seven other women lived in this bathroom as those of the Hutu tribe murdered those of the Tutsi tribe. And when the genocide finally came to an end, it was a hundred days. When the genocide finally came to an end, a million people were killed. In 100 days. Men, women, and children. Immaculate received the news that everyone in her family had been murdered except for one of her brothers. Her father, her mother, her siblings, her aunts, her uncles, all of them killed. The day came after the genocide ended that Immaculate, she went to the jail and she came face to face with the man who killed her family. And it was her neighbor. A neighbor that they'd been neighbors with for like 20 years killed her family with a machete. 
So she's sitting there in the jail and she says she looks at him and his clothes are just ragged and beat up. And you can just tell that the grief and the evil that he just participated in has just beat him down. And the jailer pulls this guy in front and kneels him on the ground and tells Immaculate, Hey, you can hit him. You can curse him. You can spit on him. He was like, you can do whatever you want to do to him. Get it back. She said, in that moment, she kneels down on the ground with the man and looks him to the looks him in the eyes and says, "I forgive you." And the jailer is just floored. How in the world can you do that? She says, "Forgiveness is all I have left to give." The man wept, she wept, they prayed together and they gave glory to God. And now I went on this uh, binge watching spree of documentaries about the genocide in Rwanda. And all of these, all of these men and women from the different tribes, Hutus and Tutsis, they've all come together now and they're neighbors now and they're friends and they've, they've had this forgiveness and they've reconciled these relationships even in the midst of the most horrific thing that has happened. Immaculate would go on to write books and speak at different venues on the power of forgiveness. What you and I have been given, we are to give away. 